Hi, today I'm in studio with Dr. Annette Nunes. She is an expert in the world of autism. She founded Breakthrough Interventions and I Accept Autism. She's also the author of the book, Friendship Is. All this and more coming up now. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Nice. <laughs> I love the audience clapping. too. <laughs> so nice. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. My favorite. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. I am Zoe Hewitt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RealZoeHewitt. And sitting directly to my left is Dr. Annette <laughs> Nunez, and you can find me on my website at www.iacceptautism.com, and my Twitter is at BT Interventions. Now, you are an expert in the world of autism. It's been about 22 years now that yes. you've focused on it, which I find fascinating because 22 years ago, like people weren't talking about autism in the same way. So what made you decide to focus on that specialty specifically? I actually studied at UCLA, and I took a course from Dr. Ivar Lovas, who was the founder of Discrete Trial Training. Um, the type of therapeutic approach I use. Mm -hmm. And I just decided, I had to take an elective. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a class looking at autistic kids. And I ended up falling in love with it. And I took a series of coursework, ended up working at his clinic. And from there, it kind of took off. And I became very passionate about the cause and working with kids. And, um, and when I started, people would say, oh, you work with artistic kids. And I would say, no, no, autistic. And they had no clue what autism meant. They would refer to Rain Man. Mm -hmm. And they would say things like, oh, so your kids are great in math and you can take them to Vegas. <laughs> and, and they had all these notions of what autism is. And I'm like, yeah, no, not really. Mm -hmm. not, that's not exactly what it is. But close. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of stereotypes. And I think just from people not knowing, like we see the really horrible things yes. and like documentaries yes. and the behaviors yes. that are scary, to, yes. you know, and to look at, to imagine that that's your child right. and the life that they might lead. But that's not always the case. And you've had some amazing breakthroughs as well with kids that weren't even talking. Right. I, um, you know, my therapeutic approach is a multidimensional. So we use foundations of applied behavior analysis, which empirically is that um, kids that receive early intervention, any type of therapeutic approach, has the best prognosis in their future. So we try to start early intervention. We use ABA, and then we use another type of therapy called floor time, which is a play-based therapy. And we integrate the two and really work on not only academics, but social skills, uh, getting the kid to talk, um, getting the kid life skills, dressing, eating, school skills, writing, um, even learning, teaching them how to raise their hand when they know an answer to a question so we really encompass every facet of life and we're complex beings mm -hmm. so you need a therapeutic approach that are, that um, targets it from all levels and our success rate is pretty well I mean we have 90% of our clients in mainstream mm -hmm. classrooms with little to no support so I do speak very highly of our program and our clients do stay with us from preschool all the way we've we've had some go to college so that's been very rewarding to see and very different from yes. what was expected 22 years ago or even 10 years ago. Right, And right. one of the things that I find like online when I, when I was looking around uh -huh. is that sometimes doctors will say, well, we can't really diagnose until much later, three years old, five years old. But then other articles have come out saying, no, you can see signs very early. So what you has can. your experience been? So my experience, we've worked with um, a child as young as five months. And the sibling had autism, so 
you know, we know that there's a genetic component, so you do have a 50-50 shot of the next mm-hmm. sibling having autism. So when we started noticing that he wasn't responding to his name, he wasn't babbling, he wasn't waving, imitating gestures like waving and clapping, we started doing some intervention with him. And by the time he reached one years old, he was doing well. And he never received a diagnosis of autism. So I always tell parents, if you find that something's off, trust your instinct, because your instinct is 99.9% correct that something is off and if you can't find a doctor who's willing to diagnose or saying oh it's too young still trust that instinct and 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 seek professionals that will say yeah something is off this is the type of therapy you'll need well then what about when parents say wait a minute my something's wrong like my child's not responding Mm -hmm. and then other parents say oh no kids don't you know Einstein didn't speak till he was four. Right. You know, I just really encourage people, Mm -hmm. if they think something's off, um, to really, there's always, it's so important to get a first and second Mm -hmm. and even third opinion, Mm -hmm. um, because studies have shown that if you can catch it early and start the intervention early, Mm -hmm. the prognosis for kids is much better. And we have clientele that we've started at age one and a half, two, Mm -hmm. and they're fully going into kindergarten now where you don't even, you can't even tell that there's anything. They're entering kindergarten with no diagnosis at all. So, I mean, it's there, Mm -hmm. but the school doesn't know that they have a diagnosis. So, Mm -hmm. you know, denial is a funny thing. (laughs) And, you know, I always say if you're in denial, then autism doesn't magically go away. Mm -hmm. So it's it's better to address the issue when when the child is young as opposed to five, six, seven when the behaviors are already ingrained. And that's when you start seeing some of that aggressive behavior like headbanging and hitting your head and rocking and babbling nonsense. So, And you explained to me earlier, too, that it's sort of like following a specific neural pathway, which mm-hmm. is something I had not heard about before. You know, like I hear autism and I like picture these other behaviors. Yes. So can you explain that? Yeah, when you compare a child with autism's brain compared to a quote-unquote typical child, their brains look a little different. And part of it is, is the neurotransmitters don't prune like like a typical child. So the pathways of interest, for example, if they're interested in cars or cartoons, those those brain pathways get stronger and stronger and stronger because it's almost like an obsessive compulsive thing. You know, like th- they love cars, they love cars, so they learn everything about cars. And the other areas of the brain aren't getting activated. So it's really important to, to, to engage the child socially other things besides cars, so you're, um, you know, getting those neurons more activated mm-hmm. and developing different neural pathways, which is fascinating. It is, and we can feel it. I mean, I can feel it in my adult brain sometimes yes, going down yes, the same yes. path and thinking like, <laughs> "Stop this line of thinking." Exactly, and we have instinctually we can have like stop. Mm-hmm. You know, but children with autism don't. And so it becomes obsessive. And that's why you see kids that become super hyper-focused in one area. You'll see children with autism, some have mu- uh, amazing musical talent, or they're amazing artists, or they're really good in math, and you can take them to Vegas. You know, because those neuropathways <laughs> mm-hmm. are so strong, and that's what they study. It's like studying, mm-hmm. studying, studying, that of course one area of the brain is going to become stronger than the others. And we mentioned Einstein, and you said actually he yeah. had, was diagnosed with autism. Yeah, they think that Einstein did. And and it's interesting because from what I've heard, rumor mm-hmm. has it, is that his mom or his nanny, I don't remember which one, or his caretaker, actually had to write a routine down for mm-hmm. him. He, he liked things written down, and he liked things 
um, you know, written and he had a follower routine. And if he didn't, supposedly he mm-hmm. tantrumed and yeah. had outburst. So, which is typical, right? Of like mm-hmm. a child with autism needs it a is. lot of structure. Needs right? a lot of structure, yeah. and so. That's really important, but let's be real. Life isn't structured. So what the type <laughs> mm-hmm. of therapy we do is we don't use visual schedules. Some mm-hmm. some companies do. We don't because life is structured. And I get parents that say, yeah, sometimes I spontaneously want to take a trip mm-hmm. or sometimes I need to go to the store. So we really work on non-structuring therapy uh-huh. for kids so they learn that anything can get mm-hmm. thrown at them at any time and they're okay. And they are okay. Right, which makes sense. You're right, because life is not structured. Sometimes right. things come up. Even yes. just you're running late in traffic, so you can't run an errand that you had expected exactly. to. Exactly. You yes. have to be able to be flexible. Yeah. Yes. And so we really work with our clients on flexibility. I'll mm-hmm. show up late sometimes, and they're like, you're late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're okay, though. Great. I'm here. Right. You know, it's great. And so um, that flexible thinking is very hard for an mm-hmm. autistic mind because they like sameness. They uh-huh. like routine. And I'm a master at sabotaging stuff. So <laughs> if a routine's happening, I'm great at thinking, how are we going to break mm-hmm. this routine and how are we going to sabotage it? So, and it helps. It really does help with the kids to become more flexible thinkers, if you will. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. And then there's, I've always heard about then like a spectrum of autism. Yes. Right. And so it's part of, it's a, is it considered a sensory processing disorder? Or is that a subset of? That's a subset. So autism is a spectrum disorder, meaning you have kids on the lower end mm-hmm. and have kids on the higher end, and then you have the kids in the middle. Mm-hmm. With that can come the sensory processing disorder, um, language disorder, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the other thing can be possible is ADHD or ADD mm-hmm. in conjunction with it. So mm-hmm. it truly is a spectrum. And there's a famous quote mm-hmm. that is, if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism. And that's mm-hmm. very accurate that uh, there's no two people with autism alike. Each of them exhibit, each child exhibits their behaviors in different ways. And so it makes it a very fascinating disorder mm-hmm. to work with, in the sense because you never have one, two client, one or two clients that mm-hmm. are the same. It's always different. I guess you can't get into a structure either. Yeah, no I have to be flexible <laughs> in my thinking too. So very good for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> and then, what about Aspergers? Is that part of the same family, or is that separate? I feel like I've heard more about Aspergers recently. Yeah, you know, the DSM actually got rid of the diagnosis of Aspergers, but Aspergers. It's unfortunate because Aspergers is its own entity and these these clients these individuals are very bright they can articulate themselves they're usually very 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 articulate and smart they struggle socially however when you with when somebody's diagnosed with Asperger's they're usually not diagnosed until they're older sometimes 9 10 sometimes even in their 20s because it goes unnoticed because they are so highly verbal and they are so highly articulate but once mm-hmm. again sometimes they are obsessed with um, dinosaurs or space or music and so I'm working with uh, a client who's 16 who is fascinated with um, uh, writing and women and it's been very fascinating working with him because he, he does kind of have a obsession with um, different different things in life and it's been very fun to work with him in that sense you know and, and you can really I can really get into his mind and understand what's going on with the disorder so that's been fun. And so where is that line of having an interest that's quote-unquote acceptable mm-hmm. versus having an interest that is veering off into 
possible other diagnoses? So, you know, when you meet somebody with autism, they'll talk about, let's say, for example, dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Hi, do you know about dinosaurs? And they won't even, they don't even care about your name. They don't care about anything about you. Mm -hmm. And they'll all of a sudden go into a conversation and say, I have five different dinosaurs. Do you know about the T-Rex? And the T-Rex is green. And they'll give you every single fact Mm -hmm. about every single dinosaur And that's how you know that's not, you know, usually there's a back and forth communication. Mm -hmm. So when kids, when you start noticing things are wrong, these kids start losing friends because Mm -hmm. who wants to talk about dinosaurs all the time? Uh I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, who wants to talk about Thomas the Train all the time? After age, you know, five, six, it's kind of not cool. Mm -hmm. So these kids become hyper-focused on certain aspects Mm -hmm. or subjects. And that's what makes it, that those are like the blaring red flags. And then when Mm -hmm. you try to change the subject, they'll bring it right back to dinosaurs or they'll bring it right back to Thomas. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that are like, oh, okay, something's Mm -hmm. a little socially off. Uh And they don't ask questions. They don't want to know anything about you. Just, this is what <laughs> This it is, is. And, and you know, uh-huh. I always say to kids, especially when I'm first assessing kids, mm-hmm. they'll tell me about the whole life story. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, do you know about me? What's my favorite color? Oh, well, my favorite color is blue. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. you know, and so then they go, I call it like a little mini narcissism. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what the higher uh-huh. functioning kids, uh-huh. because the higher functioning are definitely more... It's kind of hit and miss of how to diagnose. Mm -hmm. So some kids get misdiagnosed because of it. Right, I would imagine so if it's more of, like we were talking about, just sort of a quirk almost that you can't quite tell. Or someone who's a doctor maybe who's not as experienced to say, oh, they'll outgrow it. They'll outgrow it. We hear that a lot. (laughs) Oh, they'll outgrow it. No, it's not going to get outgrown. (laughs) Trust me, I know. (laughs) And so when people come to you for the initial evaluation, Mm -hmm. how do you, like, how often do you see kids who you say, you know what, this is fine. This is sort of a normal quirk. Or is it more of the time by the time they get to you? You, there is probably something going on. By the on. time they get to me, parents are... I get different types of clients. I get the young clients who are not talking, who mm-hmm. who we start a very intensive intervention, anywhere mm-hmm. from 15 to 20 hours a week of therapy we start. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get the clients that are the behavioral clients. So they're talking, they're kind of more of the Asperger-y, mm-hmm. and they're about to get kicked out of school. And it's because of their inflexibility. And so we work, uh, I work highly on that. So it really depends on the different types of clients that we get mm-hmm. that determines how many hours that they get of mm-hmm. therapy and also the skills that we work on. Because mm-hmm. some clients we use basic skills. Some clients we use like contracts with them mm-hmm. um, saying what's acceptable behavior, what's not. Mm-hmm. And some clients we're working on social skills because they truly want friends and mm-hmm. they want to be accepted. Mm-hmm. So it, the, it varies as in terms of the type mm-hmm. of therapeutic approach approach and the type of kids that we get but I never have a client that I say and like oh there's been a couple recently where I'm like uh there's definitely I work with children with autism and this client Uh definitely does not have it Uh there's something that the school may be missing but this is not it's not Uh it's not it um, but that's rare. That's really rare. So I feel like then that's even more of an emphasis on if a parent thinks something is wrong, chances are good, especially as children are getting yes. older, that something is, is wrong. wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not just, oh, they'll speak a little later. Yeah. And, you know, with the whole denial piece, 
when I see a kid, I never look at a child with, di- with a diagnosis. Although I work with children with autism, I never mm-hmm. see them as autistic. I look at little Johnny as little Johnny, and he has amazing skills here, and he has some work, you know, maybe socially, maybe with his writing, but we're going to figure out how we can get him to be included into school and act like any type of kindergartner, first grader, second grader. Mm -hmm. So I really don't put a label to the kids. My first question to parents is, what do you want for your future? Uh 99% of the time they say, I want my kid to graduate. I want my kid to go to college. So I'm like, okay, so let's see how we can do this. We're going to get him there, and this is how, but you have to be on board. Right. And, um, and, and so I really, any client that starts with me, my goal is for them to graduate high school and to live independently. That's uh-huh. the goal for any kid that I work with. And so I kind of have a different approach, although I do work with children with autism. I don't look at them as having autism. I look at them as mm-hmm. any other child, and I think that's why the success is so great because I do push my kids. Mm-hmm. And make sure that they are successful. And not just assume this is where you are and you're stuck. Right. And that's something, that's an activity actually, sim- something similar to what's in your yes. book. So um, just to explain the book. So it's a collection of drawings from kids from um, kindergarten. kindergarten through sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And some have been done by kids who have been diagnosed with autism mm-hmm. and some have not. But the book doesn't tell you which is which. Yes. So it shows as you're looking through, you really can't tell what friendship is because it's the same to mm-hmm. any child. But in the back, there are several pages of activities mm-hmm. for inclusion. And one of them that I thought was really interesting is to sit down and ask your child to list things that they're good at and bad, like mm-hmm. you're saying, and then mm-hmm. talk about it in terms of someone else, maybe in the class, who has autism. Autism, yeah. And so there are some really fascinating um, like activities, I guess, and yes. teaching elements. Yeah. So how did you decide on these versus other ones that I'm sure you also employ? Well, you know, a lot of the way the project started is my company we mainstream kids into quote unquote typical schools so we're in a lot of public schools private schools and mainstream classrooms and what we noticed is some of our kids like some of our clients would sit down in the lunchroom and then kids would move away and there was this exclusion. So mm-hmm. we really wanted to teach kids how to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. So we started this project, Maylene Visaya and I um, started this project where we would go into classrooms and we would ask five questions about friendships, like what does friendship mean to you? What is a good friend? Um, you know, Do you have a good friend? What do you do with your friend? And we gave mm-hmm. them a blank piece of paper and said, mm-hmm. write, draw about friends. Uh-huh. And the great thing is, is that when we ended up collecting all the papers we couldn't tell Mm -hmm. which ones were our clients and which ones were quote unquote Mm -hmm. the typical peers and that's the beauty of it is that we saw oh kids on the spectrum and quote unquote typical peers feel and Mm -hmm. think the same way about friendships Mm -hmm. and it was great to see our clients and they even surprised me about Mm -hmm. what they came up with and what they drew and how Mm -hmm. they talked about it because I didn't even think they had it in them Uh you know and I'm not a doubter (laughs) but I I mean I was like whoa I mean I was blown away yeah. So with the projects, the, the activities, we I've done years of social integration in schools mm-hmm. and social integrated playgroups. So the activities that we picked have been beneficial, and we've mm-hmm. done them with kids. And they're the, the activities that have less, left the most lasting impression mm-hmm. on kids, um, where kids really get it. They're like, oh, that's what it feels like to be excluded. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like to be included. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole point is to teach compassion and empathy at a young age right. because that's where it really starts. And then it, you kind of, it'll, it's a ripple effect in that mm-hmm. it decreases the yeah. bullying when they get into middle school and high school. And I was going to say, and that's what's so fascinating about this book, that regardless of knowing someone with 
with autism or having autism, that this connects to the big problem of bullying and understanding yes. each mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. and learning to have empathy. Like you yes. said, like these activities are good regardless right. of your situation. They are. And the interesting thing is, too, we yeah. probably collected about 150, 175 different drawings. Mm-hmm. And the same thing came up is kids really want friends. They really want to feel included. They really want to feel like they're a part of a group. And there was not any negativity like oh friends suck or I don't really have I don't really like friends every ever and that it was about 175 that we got back that we looked Mm -hmm. at and it had the same theme across and Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it too is that deep down inside innately we really do want to feel connected to people Mm -hmm. and there's this theory that children with autism will never love or Mm -hmm. don't feel connected and that's the opposite these kids really truly do want to form relationships Mm -hmm. with people and not be isolated or ostracized so and do you think that goes back to like our own primitive feelings of like be with the group or you'll Mm -hmm. get like eaten by a lion yeah I think it is yes (laughs) I I, I do I think that that innately we have that Mm -hmm. drive to want to be connected with people and uh you know and that's one of the misconceptions about autism is Mm -hmm. oh um these kids just aren't connected no Mm -hmm. they may not be connected with you Mm -hmm. because you're not making an effort to be connected with them but if you make that effort they will connect with you Mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of it and 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 why i love working with children with autism is what you see is what you get when they're mad at me, they're mad at me. There's no hidden agenda. I know where they're at. I'm not trying to rationalize, oh, is he manipulating me? When they're happy with you, they're happy with you. You mm-hmm. feel that true joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of autism is what you see is what you get. And I wish more humans were like that at really? that primitive <laughs> uh-huh. level of happiness and anger and frustration, yeah. you know? Like when they're frustrated, get out. Okay, but I'm still here. Yeah. You're not going to lose me. You know, uh-huh. we work through that frustration. Right. I won't so, like give up on you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really interesting too about their feelings. So do kids with autism typically then have less of that manipulative aspect? Mm-hmm. Because manipulation, like, I feel like the connotation is very bad, but really yeah. it's just controlling to get along with your environment. So mm-hmm. the actual, I feel like, definition is not bad. Yeah. But what you're saying is they don't have that, is it the ability to manipulate? Well, they do. Don't get me wrong. Um, we look at autism as a behavioral disorder. So they have manipulation in the sense of if they haven't had behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. um, kids will with autism will learn to cry and to tantrum to get what they want because they uh-huh. want that attention. They want that connection. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you cry? Somebody comes up to you, right? And Uh, somebody says, oh, it's okay. uh And what are they getting? Back rubs, attention, Uh that feeling of love. So they learn to communicate that way, that you cry, you get Uh attention. Uh And so our therapy teaches when they're quiet, that's when you give the attention. We teach them more how to Uh self-regulate. So manipulation in the sense of they know who to manipulate. So mm-hmm. they know never to manipulate me because I'll never give in. Uh-huh. But they know maybe dad because they don't mm-hmm. see him as much. Maybe mom because they don't see him as much. Oh, I'll cry and mom will eventually give me the mm-hmm. iPad or give me what I want. Uh-huh. So in that sense, yes, they can be manipulative. Mm-hmm. As far as emotions, no. What you see, mm-hmm. they're very literal thinkers. So mm-hmm. they're linear. Mm-hmm. So I've had clients tell me, mm-hmm. I like it because you just tell me straight up how it is. Yeah. You, their feelings aren't going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. You can say, hey, look that's kind of strange don't do that if you Mm -hmm. want friends this is what you have to do Mm -hmm. great I'm glad you told me directly Mm -hmm. and so they're linear thinkers in the sense of what you see is what you get and and that Mm -hmm. manipulation as in terms Mm -hmm. of emotional manipulation no 
you don't see that. And the social end, you actually work to develop something very specific, right? It's a social scale mm-hmm. to evaluate. Social competence, yes. So will you explain that? Yeah. For my um, dissertation work, mm-hmm. I um, was really interested in how kids socialize. Not only mm-hmm. kids with autism, but just everyday kids. Mm-hmm. And I did tons and tons and tons of observation on the playground. Mm -hmm. And like we discussed before, social groups start as young as preschool. Mm -hmm. They do. You can see who is going to be, you know, the quote-unquote popular, who's going to be the outcast, who are the shy, who are the slow to warm up. Mm -hmm. So I decided to develop a social competence scale that ranges, that looks at a child's Mm self-esteem, a child's um, self-confidence, and also just their social skills as a whole. Mm -hmm. So when you look at kids and you can observe them on the playground you can say oh well that kid definitely you can tell he's super confident because he's that type a i'm gonna win i'm gonna be everybody's Mm -hmm. friends but yet when they lose a game they completely break down and melt down so they're not really completely socially competent because a socially Mm -hmm. competent person can be flexible but Mm -hmm. yet be a winner but then Uh also can be a loser um Mm -hmm. and be okay with it Uh or you have those slow to warm-up kids that those Mm -hmm. kids never join into play well they're lacking self esteem because they don't feel confident Mm -hmm. to join a play group and to really interact so pretty much it just it it measures kids on the spectrum but then Uh also your regular everyday Uh kids those shy kids Mm -hmm. um the kids that have overconfidence Mm -hmm. and 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 we've developed a therapeutic approach well not a therapeutic approach just playground recess activities Mm -hmm. that help build on Uh self-esteem um social skills and self-confidence so it sounds like I feel like something that would work even for adults. It does. It does. <laughs> Trust me, I've done it. No. <laughs> I mean, like, like these are issues that adults have, yes. like joining in at a party, mm-hmm. for instance, or going mm-hmm. to a bar and being able to jump yeah, in. And it's just the same yeah, it is. Envir- you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's just the same thing a new at a, setting. Young, yeah, right? at a younger level. It's on the playground, <laughs> you know. And, you know, there's a famous quote that I love. Well, it's not famous. It's one of my favorite quotes is that, yeah. you know, you learn – Um, about a person in five minutes of playing with Mm -hmm. them than you do of talking with them. And that's true. Uh You do get to understand what their play style is and Mm -hmm. how, you know, are they silly? Are they not? Are Mm -hmm. they reserved? And I I love children because you can see their innocence and play and Mm -hmm. how things act out. And what better way to work on social skills mm-hmm. and but in a playful playful environment mm-hmm. so yeah really, and and I've heard too then that young is the age to start with those social mm-hmm. skills is far more important than like the learning the academic mm-hmm. side it's that yeah, social it's that social piece which I feel like you see as again you see as an adult like in a big office even you, you can do. see the people who maybe aren't even the hardest workers but yes. they're the ones who can get along with everyone everybody else. yeah and yeah. that it's so important mm-hmm. to be able to do that so I really am a big <clears throat> advocate for teaching social skills at a young age Mm -hmm. because if you can build or develop socially competent little beings, Mm -hmm. then those beings actually become empathetic, Mm -hmm. compassionate, understanding, Mm -hmm. accepting, and confident in who they are. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that in the long run, that would decrease bullying and what's Mm -hmm. going on as they get older. Definitely, because then they understand. Because then they understand, yeah. So I want to take a look at a few few of the drawings from the book and see Mm -hmm. if if you remember even. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since I've looked at it, but I I have a pretty good idea. Now, I'm going to start with this one that I already asked you about because I was sure I knew the answer Mm -hmm. to this. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm going to hold it up here to the camera. Mm -hmm. And that one's no. 
the so this one if I guess for anyone who's listening if you're not watching I'm holding up a drawing that all of the writing is typed and mm-hmm. the drawing below it of two kids it's very small like mm-hmm. th- there's not much to it not much color but the writing is all typed so yeah. no not no. an autistic mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. this is a neurotypical mm-hmm. child and yet it's typed and then there was one other one to throw it off so then we have this one and for anyone again who's not looking same type of setup typed words on the page there are more of them and then there's a drawing at the bottom yeah, that, that is a more yes. detailed mm-hmm. drawing mm-hmm. and that one's yes okay now yes. we're out of the ones that I know the answers to okay <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I am going to pick at random okay so let's see so we've got on this page here mm-hmm. it's a picture of um, a bunch of friends there are five kids together and um, says friends make me happy friends are nice the writing is sort of in a shape that reminds me of a house with mm-hmm. a sun and clouds. Mm-hmm. So, well, what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say not autistic. Autistic. Yeah. And so, is there something in this that tells you that? You know, um, other than, of course, that you know the answer. Other than you know the answer, no, actually, no, because it throws me too, because uh-huh. some of the ones that are neat like that uh-huh. aren't don't have autism because you would okay. think the neatness would so throw it up yeah the the neat and the lining up of everything and the perfection okay. that's what, but in the book uh-huh. it asks kids what drawings do you think mm-hmm. and why do you think right. that and to kind of dispel the misconceptions mm-hmm. you know yeah. of it and so there's other drawings in there that are very neat mm-hmm. and you're like oh that 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 definitely has to be it, but, but no. no. And just for reference, this one with the five children playing that I just showed, this is from third grade. Uh, the very first typed one, that was a sixth grader, and the second typed one was a fifth grader. Yeah. So, okay, then let's go to, okay, um, such a hard choice now because <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to pick. <laughs> but it's hard because they're all different ages, they're too, different and I don't know ages. what kids yes. do at these ages. Okay, yeah. let's pick this one. We have a picture of... It's um, two, it looks like probably boys out on a playground with maybe a swing and a uh-huh. slide, I'm guessing. And a uh-huh. friend is someone you play with. I feel happy when I'm with my friends, and it's actually a first grader. It's a first grader. Okay. <laughs> do you remember the answer? <laughs> what do you think? Okay. So now knowing that neat is generally an indicator, uh-huh. I'm going, no, not that autistic. That one is. Autistic, too. Yeah. Really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. 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 I, I know now I know who did it yeah and there's nothing lined up in this one Mm-mm. there's nothing that's specifically neat there's Mm-mm. not a lot of writing to Mm-mm. show that they're like mm-hmm. superior in the mm-hmm. writing skills yeah and you can't tell and you can't tell and yeah. that and I feel and like and that's the beauty of the book th- yes I was gonna say you can never tell these <laughs> few examples alone mm-hmm. show that it is you can't tell you can't tell which ones are which yeah and I feel like this is the best example there is of how we are all the same <laughs> But no all matter different. what. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It, it's And we loved it in a sense because literally we were shocked too. It's like, really? That's who did it? Yeah. You know? And, and that's, it, it is, it's a very great concept. And we encourage people in their classrooms, mm-hmm. teachers in the classrooms, to do a same Friendship Is book mm-hmm. where they ask their class to... Give them a white piece of paper. We give them the five questions we asked, mm-hmm. and to, to create their own friendship is book. Um, and the five questions you asked, just so other people can hear them too. Mm-hmm. I guess you can read them. I'm looking for the page. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So the following questions: What is a friend? How do friends make you feel? What do you do with your friends? And what does friendship mean to you? Yeah. And those were the questions. And those were the questions that we asked. Yeah. Okay. Let's do one more. Then. Okay. 
I feel like I can get this one now. Okay, <laughs> let's guess this one. Now, for anyone who, I'll hold it up, and then if you are listening, I'll describe it. There is a lot of writing that looks very neat to me on uh-huh. this page. There's a sun, there are two kids playing with what looks like a football on some green grass. On some green grass. Would you read? Oh, and the age is seventh grade. Um, oh, okay, and the text says, yeah. Friendship means to me that someone cares for you and helps you. Being a friend means that you're nice to the other friend. My friends make me feel good and not lonely. Friends invite me to do stuff when we can do it. I play football and kickball. Friends share stuff with me. I have a friend who is nice, who sits with me at lunch and hangs out with me. Sometimes me and my friends tell jokes to each other. So do you think yes or no? Autistic. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah. And so... You, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I know. I feel like clapping. Clapping. We, need the, we need the clapping back. I know. We're <laughs> cheering. I mean, what do I win? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of what was that like five or six yeah. I, could, I only mm-hmm. guessed one and it was only after you gave me the specific clues yeah. because to me not knowing seventh graders mm-hmm. this is the t- a typical amount of text that mm-hmm. I would expect to see yeah. and that it doesn't just talk about being with one friend, one friend. Yeah. which is what I would guess yeah so very yeah. very interesting it is interesting so now you have to go back and and <laughs> but I'm gonna be wrong about all of them <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna get like pictures and text. <laughs> is this one? That's right. You have to tell My me. My husband now. and I are now debating and arguing about this one. <laughs> we need an answer. <laughs> well, Annette, thank you yes. so much. This has been really fascinating. Yeah, well, and thank you. I'm so glad you could be here. And remind everyone where they can find you on your website, social media. Um, website. They can find me. We're doing an I Accept campaign, so it's www.iacceptautism.com, and they can find me. Therapeutic-wise at btinterventions.com. And I'm Zoe Hewitt. You can find me at Real Zoe Hewitt on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on YouTube, Zoe Hewitt Hosting, where I do a weekly movie analysis show. I'm also on our sister station, AfterBuzz, for the Shark Tank panel, which I lead there on Monday evenings. Thank you so much for joining us. For Book Circle Online, this has been fascinating. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to BookCircleOnline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at BookCircleOnline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.